Very good morning, everyone. A blessed Easter to all of you and also to those of us uh, joining us online. Of all the days in the Christian calendar, Easter really is the most uh, glorious, and that's why I always uh, dress differently uh, on Easter Sunday. Thank God I can still fit in. Uh, <laughs> but if you know, the belt is just for show. Ah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> right, but really seriously, the resurrection is the most important event and doctrine of the church. There are many doctrines, uh, many of these doctrines are interconnected, but the resurrection of Christ is the most crucial and significant. If I can just put across what Apostle Paul would say later on in 1 Corinthians 15, he would essentially say, if Christ did not rise from the dead, in Singaporean fashion, he would say, let's balik kampong. Let's go, go home. No point being here, right? You are already at home, right? But really, it's so important, this doctrine and this truth, the reality of Christ's resurrection. So we will see that a bit deeper in 1 Corinthians 15 when we get there to study why that doctrine is so crucial. But today I want to remind us why the resurrection is so significant. But before we read the scriptures, for those of us on site, can I just invite you once again to just praise God with a clap offering. For those of you following online, do type some words of praise as we exhort our risen Lord and Saviour. So continue typing the comments in the live chat as I continue to read the word of God to us, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. This is the word of God. Come, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for this glorious passage that we will go in deeper today. Holy Spirit, reveal your word to us. Importantly, renew our minds to believe and live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not sure how many of you have uh, watched this show before. It's called Renovate. It's into its season number nine this year. And so this word is basically made kind of, of two words. Renovate plus eight. Right? Renovate plus eight becomes Renovate. So it's a show hosted by Belinda Lee. And she basically gets a team of volunteers and professionals uh, to renovate homes which are in terrible living conditions. There are many reasons why you know the homes end up being so messy. Some of them have to look after a demented parents, some have special needs children, some families are so large, they simply cannot care for everyone. Regardless of the reasons, all these families have one thing in common. They are simply unable to get themselves out of the mess. Literally, for them, they cannot get themselves out of this messy situation. And so that's when Belinda and the team, they come in, they provide the necessary external help, they clean up the whole house, they get the IDs to design the house to meet their needs, and then they renovate the whole place. So if you ever watch this show, you will know it's quite an extreme makeover. 
So while the family circumstances do differ, the essential pattern is the same. The family is stuck in some kind of terrible mess. The past has been a huge baggage. They are unable to help themselves in the present. But when the renovate team comes, they basically that becomes the turning point. Belinda and her team, they provide aid in cleaning, renovating, and then the families basically have 180 degrees turn about in experience. No longer are they trapped in their past, but now with the complete makeover, they have a glorious future which awaits them. Now, similar to renovate, but in a far superior way, our lives have been completely turned around by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of them, all of us, also live among them at one point, gratifying cravings of our flesh and following desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. So, Apostle Paul, in verse 2 and 3, talk, verse 2, talks about, you know, describing the Ephesians church, that they were dead in their sins. But in verse 3, he considers himself as one of them. I also live among you. All of us live among them at one point in time. So here Paul describes three things about our past. He uses three words. One is transgressions, second is sins, and third is the gratification of our flesh. So these three, they may sound the same, but actually they're not the same. So let me give you some imagery so help us understand these three words a bit better. First, transgressions. It has this imagery where you take a wrong step and then you fall down. So that's the idea of a transgression. Second is the imagery of an archer missing the mark, right? So that's sin. You try very hard to shoot on target, but somehow you just cannot hit it on target. That's sin. And then gratification, probably an area that we know so well, where we have this self-indulgent craving of the flesh. Maybe it's getting drunk, it's eating too much, right? Sexual immorality, stuff like that. That's gratification of the flesh. So these three categories may be seen as, first of all, mistakes. That wrong footing, that wrong that you didn't intend to do, but somehow you did it anyway, that's a mistake. So that's transgression. Second, imperfections. The good which you wanted to do, but somehow you just kept missing the target. You cannot hit the right mark. The good that you wanted, you couldn't achieve it. The third category, the deliberate wrongs. You knew that it was wrong, but you chose to do it anyway. It may well have started off as a legitimate need. For example, the need to eat. Very legitimate, right? But when it turns to gluttony, then that's when we go off course. So these three categories basically encapsulate most of our lives, isn't it? Perhaps we didn't intend to hurt anyone, but somehow by our words, our actions, or our inaction, we hurt someone. It's a terrible mistake. Or perhaps we tried very hard to remedy the situation. But instead of making things better, <laughs> we made things worse. Somehow we miss the mark again and it becomes a worsening crisis. At other times, because the hurt was so grievous or because the pleasure was just too tempting, too great, we decided to do what's wrong anyway, even though we knew that was wrong from God's point of view. And so we take a deep plunge into the abyss. These three categories. And in this last category, when we choose to deliberately do what's wrong, Paul says, we have chosen to follow the ways of Satan, of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And so naturally, the consequence, as Paul says in verse 3, we incur the wrath of God. God is angry at us because of these deliberate sins and wrongs. 
So whether it's our mistakes, our imperfections, or our deliberate wrongs, we find ourselves in a messy situation, caught in hopeless despair because we are trapped in sin and death. But just like Belinda and her renovate team, they provide the necessary external help, God did the impossible for us. The turning point is verse 4. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, this is the turning point, my friends. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. It is God's nature to be merciful. He is not stingy in showing mercy, but He is rich in mercy. Despite the countless mistakes, imperfections, and deliberate wrongs on our part, God has shown us endless mercy. Let me just put it out there. As much as God is holy and righteous, if your understanding and your theology of God is not tilted towards a loving and merciful God, maybe we are not reading our Bibles correctly. Because even in the Old Testament, Psalm 30 verse 5 declares, For His anger lasts only a moment, but His favour lasts a lifetime. His anger lasts only a moment, but His favour lasts a lifetime. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, a very familiar verse. God demonstrates His own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's why Good Friday is good, because God has made a way through His Son to be reconciled to Him. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that God is never angry, you know. Neither am I saying that sin is not a serious matter. Sin is so serious that it caused Jesus, the very Son of God, in His very life. Sin has to be taken seriously. Sin had to be judged, and God did it. But the point is, God's wrath, even though it's justified against us, was put on Jesus. Jesus bore the wrath of God. The Scripture teaches us that because Jesus took on the wrath of God, the punishment for our sins, what remains then is God's everlasting, loving kindness toward us. Do you understand? Because Jesus took on the wrath of God, all that remains is God's loving kindness towards us. That's why Paul says in verse 7, the incomparable riches of God's grace shown in the kindness of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has borne the wrath of God. But more than love and kindness, today's sermon really want to focus on three aspects. What God does for us in the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. The three things which counter the mistakes, the imperfections, and the deliberate wrongs of our lives. There is so much more, my friends, to the resurrection of Christ. Typically, we think of Christ's resurrection in terms of having eternal life, right? Having life after death. Now, these are not wrong. They're not incorrect, but they're incomplete. Look at what Scripture says, verse 5. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So three aspects here. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. He raised us up with Christ and He seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. Again, while they seem to be synonymous, they are not. And all three dimensions have great significance in our Christian lives. First of all, making us alive gives us ability. Second, raising up us from raising up us together with Christ guarantees victory. And third, seated us with Christ grants us authority. So let me unpack all three dimensions for us, and I pray once again that the Holy Spirit will enable us to live out the truths of God. So ability. 
for power. I have preached elsewhere that what Methodism restores to the body of Christ is our insistence on the power of God's grace to overcome the power of sin. Some call it second blessing, some call it Christian perfection, some call it perfect love. Regardless of how you call it, the result is the same. We are empowered to live a righteous life. That's the key difference. Previously, we were dead in sin, but now we are able to live a life that is righteous and holy. Previously, like a dead object, right? We are simply unable to respond to any stimuli because we are dead. But now we are made alive. And Scripture says, even in our transgressions, we were made alive. So God has awakened to us through His Holy Spirit this power and ability. I've also preached elsewhere that God's Spirit, when He gives us this power, it is not some kind of dynamite, explosive power, but simply the ability to do what is right and good. So perhaps this analogy will help you. Previously, we were drowning in our sins, right? But God, through His Son Jesus Christ, reached out to us. But more than that, through His Holy Spirit, He gave us the ability to swim so that we don't drown again. And even more than that, He will give us the ability to serve the wave and ride through the storms of life. Previously, we were not able to hit the target. The good which we wanted to do, we were not able to do. But now, because we are given the ability, the power, we shoot it on target because of the Holy Spirit living in us. I also made it very clear in the Romans Prophet series that as a Christian, we cannot think the following statement anymore. I cannot help but to sin. If you think like that, that is not a Christian thought at all. It is not a biblical thought. The Christian should recognize our flesh has been crucified with Christ and the life I live, I now live unto the glory of God. It is not possible by human strength, but it is done because God gives us ability through His Holy Spirit. So ability and power means we can turn away from our sin. We can turn away from our sin and walk in newness of life with the help of God's Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and of course, the faith community. Second aspect, victory. Being raised with Christ, that gives us, guarantees us victory. Actually, being made alive uh, is already such a powerful truth. Right? It means we can overcome sin and death, which I think is not unfamiliar to all of us. We should have no fear of death as Christians. Death is just a doorway to eternal life, a glorious future. But really, there is so much more. The title of today's sermon, so much more to the Christian life. To be raised up is to overcome the world and all that is in it. So Christianity is not primarily about going to heaven, you know, after you die and then play the harp happily for the rest of our life. No, that is not what Christianity is about. If we understand the Bible correctly, there are huge implications for us living here on earth. We must expect to be victorious Christians here on earth and extend the kingdom of God. One tangible way in which we extend the kingdom of God to bring about God's victory is in the area of healing, divine healing. If we truly recognize that by His stripes we are healed, right, Isaiah 53, by His stripes we are healed, that the work of healing is paid by Christ on the cross, that the Holy Spirit has come upon every single believer, then all of us can step out and pray for the sick. If God fills our hearts with compassion, we'll recognize that the whole world is sick and there's sickness everywhere. Jesus' ministry, one third of it is filled with healing. The world needs us as Christians to step forth to bring about God's healing in our sick and broken world. 
And if it is the Holy Spirit who does this work, it can be done regardless of age or gender. Every believer can step forth and minister divine healing. So early in the month of March, this is my testimony, I woke up with a terrible backache. My wife says it's because I carried my son off the bed uh, the night before. He's 30 over kg, uh, so I didn't realize not so strong and fit anymore. But when I did it, you know, the night before, I didn't feel anything at all. But somehow the next morning, whoa, this terrible backache, a sign of aging. Uh. <laughs> so anyway, I decided to come to work as usual, just ignore the pain, because the last time I had it, it took about three days, it wasn't that severe, I could still endure, do my work. But uh, by 3 p.m. that day, I couldn't take it anymore. The pain just intensified throughout the day. So I told the staff, I'm taking leave, go back home. So when I reached home, tried to rest, but the pain wasn't gone. At 5 p.m., I decided to take some painkillers. But the pain still lasted throughout dinner and the whole night. So in the morning, I got the staff to pray for me. When I got home, I got my wife and children to pray for me. I took Panadol everything, but the pain was still there. But here's the amazing thing. When I woke up the next morning, the pain was completely gone. So, 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 so now sometimes I, I, I can appreciate how you all feel. Wow, God suddenly healed me miraculously. I had that, you know, that joy that God healed me miraculously. The pain was completely gone the next morning I woke up. So praise the Lord for that. So my point of sharing this testimony really is that every believer can lay hands on the sick. My children, young ones, they were the ones who prayed for me, the staff, right? Just pray in faith. Of course, I know also the many occasions in which healing doesn't occur, but just because we tried once or twice doesn't mean that God's word isn't true. Which child is born to walk immediately? Anybody born straight away can walk? No. But they learn walking through perseverance and desire. Of course, the God-given desire, they see everybody walking, they want to walk. But it's through perseverance that we all learn to walk. In the same way, it is through training and perseverance that we learn to walk in newness of life and in the victory that God gives to us in Christ Jesus. Which leads me to the third aspect of authority. Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And Ephesians 2.6 tells us that we are seated with Him in the heavenly realms. The Greek word there is a perfect tense. That means it was done in the past and the effects continue unto the present. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. What does it mean when Christ is seated there? It means, first of all, His work is complete. If you are doing work, you cannot be sitting down, right? But the fact that He can sit down means His work is complete. And secondly, He's seated at the right hand of God. That means He's now reigning in full authority. He is now reigning sovereign. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that we really need to get it deep in our spirits. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That means we also co-reign with Christ. We have the authority of Christ. In the first area, ability, He has given us the ability to overcome sin. In the second area, we have the victory to overcome the world. But now, in this third aspect, we have authority to overcome all evil spirits that is set up against Christ. Friends, family, this is the true significance and implication of Easter. Do you recognize it? It's not just for us to wait for eternal life after death. We have so much, there's so much more 
given to every single believer. If we want to pastor the city, if we want to make a difference in our world, we need to recognize all three dimensions. We have authority over sin and darkness. We have authority over sickness and death. And we have authority over spirits and demons. And we must learn to expect breakthroughs. Yes, we will fall from time to time, but we persevere on until we walk in fullness and newness of life in every way. Let me now invite our intern, Brendan, who is now interning with us, to share his testimony on the great authority of Christ, of how Christ appeared to him and delivered him, and the great authority of Christ. So, hello, my name is Brendan Lim, and I'm currently an intern at Angbokyo Methodist Church. So, today I've been asked to give you a testimony regarding my experience of the spiritual world and the victory of the risen Christ over darkness and death. So, before I begin, I would like to give you all a heads up. I have a condition called Tourette's. It is characterized by involuntary vocal spasms. So if I start to cough or stutter, uh, please bear with me. So I'll give you a brief history into my background. I am someone who had been caught up in the occult for more than 20 years already. And I was born with multiple medical conditions, ranging from ADHD, Tourette's, uh, depression, and uh, many physical ailments. In 2019, out of desperation, I sought the help of a hypnotherapist to manage my pain. Unfortunately, things didn't turn out that well. I started falling into involuntary trances, uh, started to speak in different languages and voices, and things got so serious that my aunt, who's also a minister in the church, advised me to go for deliverance. On October the 11th, 2019, I went for a deliverance, uh, which lasted about two hours. So, just before I came to, uh, I had a voice, that is Christ's voice, and this is what he said, never had I left you, nor will I ever forsake you. I emerged from this deliverance, healed of my depression, my ADHD, and my physical uh, ailments. And in addition, I suffered a hand injury back in 2015. I could not write. Now I can without issue. Couldn't read at all back in the day. Now I can read at length. So my involvement in the occult brought me into direct contact with the spiritual world. I could see everything spiritual, ranging from angels to demons to evil spirits. Formerly, I had a third eye that was a direct link to the demonic world. And there was also a gate that permitted me to have uh, direct contact with them. So Jesus himself appeared to me and ripped out my third eye in a deliverance session which Reverend Anthony and Pastor Emmanuel participated in. And I was still undergoing deliverance last year. Uh, but technically all deliverances, I tend to convulse. And it's an, basically it's a norm. It happens when demons are forced to make themselves known. And basically uh, in this event, right, in this one uh, particular deliverance that happened slightly more than a year ago, uh, I saw the Lamb of God through two eyes, one from the eye of the demon and one from my own eye. And what happened was the Lamb of God stood over me and drove his hoof through my face, taking out the demon instantaneously. That night I slept without issues, 
The development then stopped, carried on later on. And not so much later, uh, another similar event happened. This time the Holy Spirit crashed through me without a few demons in the process. And at that moment, I realized and learned that Jesus Christ is not only the God of mercy, grace, and love, he is also the God of victory and war. This Easter morning, I want to affirm for you that there is an invisible realm more real than this one. Heaven is real and so is hell. I've, been, I've seen them both. And Easter is about the victory of life over death, the victory of light over darkness. In our earthly existence, right, uh, we are given authority in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, over the demons and the forces of darkness. The gates of hell will not prevail over the church. And when Christ died on Good Friday, Satan and hell thought they've won. When Christ rose on Easter Sunday, different story. Uh, he rose victoriously over death and hell. In our daily struggles with the evil one, we will overcome because we fight under the standard of Jesus Christ, our master and our God. Thanks be to God. May he bless you all. Indeed, we praise God for the work of deliverance and salvation in Brendan's life. The spiritual world is very real. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But here's the good news. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We have power, victory, and authority in Christ. And so when God saved us, it wasn't just to save us for the future, right? For heaven. We are right now safe to save others. God has given to us all three dimensions of ability, victory, and authority to make a difference in our world. Formerly, as Paul says, we were slaves to sin. We were disobedient to God. We followed the disobedience of Satan. But now, we are slaves to Christ. We are called to wage war against Satan. And the good news is, we will win this war. We will enforce the victory that Christ has begun. So why is Easter significant? It's not just a few good comforting message that death has been overcome, one day we will rise from the dead. Those are true, but not fully complete. It is not incorrect, but it's incomplete. The resurrection and ascension of Christ has tremendous significance to our Christian life. There is so much more. Whilst preparing for this sermon, I wanted to name this sermon in the heavenlies because the word in the heavenlies is repeated five times in the book of Ephesians. The NIV translates it as heavenly realms, but in the Greek it's just the heavenlies. And one of the most important messages lost in many evangelical circles is this, that we have lost this message of the authority we have in Christ Jesus to overcome every spiritual forces, every spiritual force of evil. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Remember, it's not earthly blessings, it's spiritual blessing, but we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, remind us that truly Christ is far above all dominions and powers. Right? He's seated again at the heavenly realms. That same power that is at work in Christ is now at work in us. Ephesians 3, verse 10, the church is meant to reveal the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenlies again, in the heavenly realms. We are supposed to tell the whole world in the heavenly realms, especially of the wisdom of God. And Ephesians 6, 12 reminds us to stand up against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies with the armor of God. 
So really, there's so much more to our identity as Christians. Christianity isn't just about ethical living. It's true, but incomplete. It isn't just about eternal life, which is also true, but it's incomplete. As believers here right now, we have authority, we have victory, we have power over darkness, sin, sickness, death, spirits, and demons. So surely, family, can we praise God for all this? Let's praise God. And those of you online, I invite you also to type words of praise on what the Lord has been speaking to you. So as believers, we are called to bring about a new ethos. Not just ethical living or eternal life, but a new ethos. The kingdom of God doing the Father's will here on earth. We have covered a lot today. Let me summarize with the following table. You see here, in the past, what we were like with respect to our deeds, with respect to Satan, with respect to God. The turning point in which God did the great and miraculous work of salvation in our lives and the future that is promised to us. Like many of the renovated families, in a spiritual sense, we were trapped in sin, in mess. We were totally unable to rescue ourselves with respect to Satan. We were completely obedient to him and therefore we were disobedient to God and therefore incurring God's wrath. But the turning point came through Christ. We did nothing with respect to deeds. We could do nothing. But God in His grace found us. It is a gift. He made us alive with Christ. He seated us, raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ. And what about the future? Verse 7 tells us that God has prepared for us to do good works. And these are things that He has prepared for us beforehand. Through Brendan's testimony, we see we have authority, the authority of Christ, right? To save and to deliver. But there's also this human-to-human aspect where we are called to do good works. And as Methodists, I think we know this very well. We try to do good works as much as we can. The thing I just want to point out, the phrase, is that God prepared for us beforehand. Think about that. That means God has long ago predestined, destined for us to be more than conquerors, to be co-partners with Him, to advance His kingdom. That has always been God's desire. Whoever is saved, your duty is to save others. God has prepared us for all these good works long ago, beforehand. And then I already mentioned how in the future, because Christ has taken on the wrath of God, all that remains is the incomparable riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is what we should be experiencing more and more and more. You see, the world only knows of rebellion. Rebel against God. And that's what we were too. And for a large part of the world, they only know of Christianity as a religion. Just go to church, do all kinds of good things like a religion. What the world often doesn't know and really needs are Christians, you and I, with an ongoing relationship. Not just a relationship with God, which is what the evangelical church preaches, but the reign of God. To advance the reign of God on earth. So no longer rebellion, no longer just a religion, but a relationship that leads into the reigning of God, sin on earth. Friends, family, this is the true message of Easter, of Christ's resurrection and ascension. Come, let us pray. Can I invite you to stand? And for those of you following us online, if you are able to stand in your homes, if it's not convenient for you to do so, and so some of us are a bit awkward sitting next to our family members. I invite you to just close your eyes 
and just raise our hands to God. Let's raise our hands to God as I pray for all of us to arise to be kingdom people. Lord Jesus, once again, we praise you for you have risen. Not only have you risen from the dead, you are now seated with Papa God. And Lord, your word tells us that we are seated with you. And so Lord, pour forth your Holy Spirit on us afresh. Cause us to arise as kingdom people that we may shine your light in our dark and broken world. Lord, give us afresh the ability, the victory and authority in Christ that we may heal the sick, we may cleanse the lepers, we may raise the dead and cast out demons. So Lord, help us to advance your kingdom because your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your kingdom is the best kingdom ever. We thank you for this great privilege to be citizens of heaven. We give you thanks and praise once again. In Jesus' name, Amen.